Last week, I intended to preach uh, and teach through uh, the first half of, of Ephesians chapter 4, and I think we got through the first half of the first two verses, so I don't know. But, uh, but nevertheless, what the Lord uh, needed us to draw from that, I believe we have. And I want us this morning to, uh, to pick up in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3, and, and, and uh, we will uh, pr- continue to walk through this as, as we go. Um, we have been looking at, uh, since way back now, several weeks ago, uh, we've been talking about and looking at the power of the church in our generation. And uh, we have discovered that in order to uh, really uh, be the kind of church that God created us to be and to be the kind of people that God has designed us to be in our generation, that we need to be really living as believers. And that doesn't just mean in name only. How many would, you know, I've said this before, I'll just allude to this for a moment. The scripture says one of the the Ten Commandments, let's go all the way back to one of the Ten Commandments. One of the Ten Commandments says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. When I was growing up, if we said, (laughs) I won't say that, I guess. My My mind just stopped right there, I'm like, how do I do that? But if we use God's name inappropriately at any, my father would have lit me up. And that's what became the central understanding in my mind of taking the name of the Lord in vain. It's correct. It's appropriate. We shouldn't be mishandling and misusing his name with our lips. Amen? Amen. All right. But then one day I got married. And all of a sudden... When my wife became Laura Holmes, I understood a new level and had a new revelation about what it meant to take the Lord's name. The scripture continually talks to those who are called by the name of the Lord. That's what the scripture says, right? And the scripture continually gives, throughout scripture there is instruction and, and blessing and encouragement and strength. And, and, and even in the Old Testament, for, uh, certainly, and, and some in the New Testament, there's, uh, uh, the scripture alludes to the correction that was brought to those who were called by the name of the Lord but did not live like they were called by the name of the Lord. And all of a sudden I discovered when I had a wife and she had my name that that uh, with my name comes any blessing that comes from my name. And, and my children who now have been raised and have my name, if they have my name, they have, they have blessing that comes with my name, but they also have responsibility that comes with my name. I probably should have just went and read the Ten Commandments first, huh? We come to realize that in our generation, there are many people who are called by the name of the Lord, but it has not impacted the way they live their life. It has not impacted their their worldview. It has not impacted the decisions they make. Many, many believers grow up today and they they get out of high school and they go into college and they choose a vocation as a believer without ever asking, asking the Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? Lord, what do you want me to do with my time? 
And many pastors spend a lot of time in marriage counseling with individuals who have said, I do, and tied the knot together and never asked God if that's what they were supposed to do, if that was what God intended. And we live in a culture where we're asking God to bless the decisions we make rather than asking God what are the decisions that we should be making. That's the culture. That's the Christian culture that we live in. Not here, but in the world that we live in. An entire generation, I read some statistics this week, and I'm not going to go into all that because it's boring. Uh, but, but it was interesting to me, but I, I'm not going to assume that statistics are interesting to you. But nevertheless, I read some alarming statistics that indicate that we have an entire generation that is growing up calling themselves believers, actually asking the Lord to come into their life, but they don't have a biblical worldview. They don't see the world the way God sees the world. They don't see right and wrong the way God sees right and wrong. They don't see decision-making the way God sees decision-making. They don't even see wisdom the way that God sees wisdom. They're growing up. They're saying, yes, I know that Jesus is out there and I know that he loves me, but I'm not quite sure that I really need his opinion about my next decision. And I've discovered opinion is really the wrong word. God doesn't have opinions. God doesn't have opinions. He's right. We have opinions. He's right, right? So I used to pray and ask God his, his thoughts on a matter, and God has a lot of thoughts, but, but my uh, definition of thoughts was, God, what's your opinion about this? And he finally one day he just said, would you quit asking my opinion? I don't have one. I have instruction. I have direction. I have wisdom. I have counsel for you, but I don't have an opinion. Because if God has an opinion, then in our thinking he can be right or he could be wrong. And he's not wrong. And contrasting philosophical ideals are opinions that are incorrect. But God doesn't have an opinion. He's just right. He's just, he is truth, right? So whenever we go into this, we go into this understanding that we have been called by the name of the Lord, but in order to live in our generation with the power and the authority that has been given to us, I've been talking to you about living under His domain. If you're going to live under the domain of the Father, if you're going to handle life with His perspective and His view and have His fruit and His results, then we've got to not just be called by the name of the Lord, but we've actually got to be living as one who is called by the name of the Lord. Consequently, that means, I love the new carpet because this will slide right out to where you are. Used to get stuck on that old stuff. So when we read the New Testament and we have scriptures full of instruction, such as in Ephesians uh, that we're looking at here in chapter 4, the things that we are reading are not opinion. I just challenge you today to realize that we're living in a world that is full of all kinds of philosophies and they've stacked this book up on, in the midst of their books of philosophies and this is not our philosophy, this is our instruction. This is our direction. This is our roadmap for life. This is truth and the truth will set you free. 
praise the Lord. When I'm quiet for a moment, my mind is debating. I'm trying to decide if the Holy Spirit is speaking to me or if I if I'm going down a road I need to go down at all, huh? Verse 3, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3. He's speaking to the church, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the, body, in the bond of peace. We talked a little bit about that last week, but I just want us to pick up right there. The unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And I want to re- remind you again that unity, the Bible says that unity uh, is, uh, is a blessed thing. And unity, we see in the Psalms, unity brings an anointing. If a church wants to be anointed, they've got to be a a group of people uh, that God has called together that are willing to walk in unity. And uh, we've discovered in our recent history that as important as unity is, the Bible says unity, it's like the the anointing that was poured upon Aaron. When Aaron, when, when he's talking about the anointing that was poured upon Aaron, he's talking about Aaron being anointed for the service to which he was called. Okay, it's not, it's not just the anointing. It wasn't, it wasn't that Aaron was just a, and it happened to be in a worship service and he was getting blessed and going, woo, woo, woo. Uh, it, it wasn't that at all. It wasn't, that, it wasn't light. It was a heavy thing. Aaron was told, you and your sons are set apart unto God for a specific purpose. And whatever you were doing before this time, the moment that that anointing all is poured upon you, whatever you were the day before, that you are no longer that. You are now a priest unto God. And when the anointing of the Lord comes into your life, whatever you were yesterday, you are no longer that. Oh, somebody ought to be happy about that. There's some other folks that go, well, I don't know, because what, God, what I'm doing I really like and what God's asking me to do I'm not terribly excited about. I've talked to a few of those folks. But I've also discovered that whatever God's calling you to do, whatever God's assigned you to do in the earth, whatever gifting and calling and anointing He's put in you, uh, you'll be better at that than you are at anything else you're called, anything else you find to do. And you'll produce more fruit out of that with a humble heart than, than anything else that you could ever set your hand to. So when Aaron was anointed, the Bible says that unity is like the anointing. It flowed down over Aaron's beard and down over his garments all the way to the hem of his garment all the way to the bottom they they can you imagine being that guy see we anoint with we don't anoint with oil the way they anointed with oil in the bible aren't you glad because they poured a bucket on that man if they poured enough oil on him that it went and saturated his beard, it went all the way down his body, and it settled up in the hem of his garments. Just how much oil did they dump on him? And then we come up and we go, oh, Jesus, be healed. I always pick on you, Benjamin. Yeah. I'm, glad we don't, I'm glad we don't have that you know, visual picture particularly in our practices anymore, but he said, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Unity is an environment that produces anointing. You go, you go into a church today and you find no anointing, 
you can bet there are some unity issues in the house. Just a simple thing. That's just some, some simple wisdom. But the problem with unity, let's talk about the problem with unity. I alluded to this last week and I heard the Holy Spirit say, I'm not done with this, I want to hit it again. Say, hit me, Holy Spirit. There's a problem with unity. Because I can walk in unity with you very easily as long as I agree with you. But the minute that I don't agree with you or you don't agree with me, the, the problem then comes. And in the culture that we live in, this is what happens. And this is what is breaking the heart of the Father. That whenever we come to a point in our walk with God, I've called these two to walk together, or I've called these people to walk together, well, I just don't like what he's telling me. I'm going somewhere else. I can search this town until I find a church that will say everything I agree with. And then I can stay there in unity until they start saying something I don't agree with. And then I can go find one that will. Right? And that's the Christian culture that we've created in our generation. When I was growing up, we lived in a little podunk town. Now I can't say what town it was because somebody might be from there. And there were two or three lively churches. There was a Pentecostal church, and then there was a, another whole gospel church of some kind. I can't remember what they said it was. And, and another one maybe down the road a stretch. And every, everybody's churches were within two or three miles of each other. And the congregations of those churches just got so that if, if they didn't like the message that was being preached or the results that were coming about, they just looked at the pastor and said, well, we'll just go on over here till you starve to death. And when you get sick of hanging out with no income, you'll resign. And then when you resign, they'll send a new pastor and then we'll come back. Happened over and over again. I mean, that's the, that, that happened for years that way in that little town. Well, my father, thank God he was smarter than that, looked at those people. He loved them. He preached in their church. He, he, he was among them and fellowshipping with them all the time. But he looked at my mother and he said, I'm not, I'm not raising my kids this way. We ain't living this way. And for the first eight years of my life, we drove one hour to church and back home every time there was a service. To go to a church that had life in it, where churches were not fighting amongst themselves. Sunday morning, Sunday night. Back in those days, Wednesday night. Friday night, sometimes Saturday night, back on Sunday. Revival, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night. And I think my father worked 12-hour days most of my life. How did I go there? Going where there's unity. But he says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The bond of peace is the thing that is needed whenever we come to a place that we don't particularly agree, but we determine that we're going to walk together in peace until we figure it out. I think last time uh, Pastor Halverson was sharing with us about 
last week or so, when, I guess it was last week, he was talking to you about our walk together for, for 10 years. We never had a screaming match. We never had an argument. We had plenty of things we didn't particularly agree about. He, he does things very differently than I do them. He probably does most of them better. But he does things differently than I do them. And I do things differently than he does them. And we worked in the same office for 10 years, never had a crossword. Why? We chose to walk in peace the day we walked in the office together the first time. We determined we were going to walk in a spirit of unity and a bond of peace. Leaders, you're, you're here and you're in departments and you're, you're laboring together for the sake of the kingdom of God and there's going to be times whenever the leader that is over you makes a decision that you don't understand because you just simply don't have all of the issues that that individual's facing nor do you have all the information that they're using to make that decision. But God has called you to walk in a spirit of unity and the bond of peace in order for that vision to be fulfilled that that department needs to accomplish. Say Amen. And this is why he gives us the understanding. He didn't st- I'm glad he didn't stop there. Verse 4, he says, There is one body, there is one spirit. You are all called to one hope of your calling. Many callings, one hope. Isn't that great? You are called to one hope of your calling. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father of all who is above all, through all, and in you all. I want to help you with something. He would not have started that statement with the word endeavoring unless there was reason to believe that there's going to be seasons of time where we have to endeavor to walk together. How many understand that's true of marriage? Sometimes, oh, sometimes you're so in love and it's so wonderful. And then, you know, things get hard. Circumstances change in life and pressure comes against and you got to grit your teeth. I love you. I've seen that look in her far more than I've seen it in me. She's, she's had to say, God, I love that man. I have went on her Facebook and typed, I love that man of mine. Just to help her. No, not really. (laughs) You guys ever see any kind words on her Facebook directed at me? You'll wonder now whether I typed them or she did. I'll see these little messages on, on, on her wall. Lord, did you say that or did Anthony? There's power in the ability for us to be the kind of mature believers. I don't even know why the Lord let, lets us teach this, except that I understand that if we're going to walk in the power that raised Jesus from the dead, this generation, you guys that are sitting here, young uh, junior high and high school students, we, we determined as a church, we made the decision that you would have youth at another time and that you would sit in the context of corporate worship so that you could understand and experience and see what it is like to have the power of God move in the, in the context of the gathering of the corporate body because we know that you're going to raise the dead in your generation. We know that you're going to stand before kings and before uh, magistrates and you're going to bring the word of the Lord when that's not what they want to hear. 
You're going to stand in, in, in college and in educational environments and you're going to look people in the face and you're going to have, have the anointing of the Lord that ha- gives you the ability to put your finger right up there and say, what you're saying is not truth. And the direction that you're leading this generation is incorrect. God, give us men and women who have boldness in our generation. Listen, the only way for us to survive this generation is for men and women of God to be bold and strong. To find a way to do that. There is one body. Last I counted, and, and I'm, it's been years, there's over 400 Bible-believing churches in the city of Fresno alone. Some of them are better at what they do than we are. Some of them got it all packaged up really pretty. I'm not trying to package it really pretty. I'm just trying to set an environment where Jesus can come and the Holy Spirit can move. There's over 400 churches that are Bible-believing in the city of Fresno. There has got to come a wind of the Spirit in the body of Christ. There's over 400 churches, but there's only one body. And actually, there are other cities. Uh, I'll just, just let you in on this. There's, there's other cities where the believers in those cities look at the city of Fresno because there is a, a higher level of unity and, and love between the pastors and the leaders, and there's less... I hate the word competition when it comes to the kingdom of God. There's competition among the... We're not, well, I'm not trying to do somebody else's job. God sent us here to do ours. So we thank God for this city and we thank God for the move of God that he's bringing here and we thank God for our part in it. We don't want somebody else's part. We want our part. We want our assignment. There's one body. There's one spirit. We're going to talk about that. Sometimes I think that, uh, that um, as Christians, we forget this spiritual principle. There's one spirit. There's not a whole bunch of little Holy Spirits running around filling everybody. There's one spirit. I was baptized in the Holy Spirit as a child. I was in the altar. I don't remember how old I was, but it was before third grade. And the reason I know it was before third grade was because we moved to the city of Fresno when I went into third grade. So it was somewhere second grade before that. And I was kneeling at an altar in the church. We had youth and, well, they called them youth. Anybody under the age of about 21 went to pre-service prayer. We had a separate pre-service prayer for, uh, in those days in that church for all the kids. And so... Parents went into their pre-service prayer and they sent all of us to ours. And we went into our pre-service prayer and sometimes we got done before church started and sometimes we didn't. And in this particular day, we were in there and we were praying and God began to move and the leader just said, yo, stay right here, just keep praying, keep praying. And, and she, she had one ear on kind of what was going on in the room we were praying in and kind of one ear what was going on in worship in the, in the uh, sanctuary and as worship began to build and she began to realize that God began to move, she, says to, she said to us as we were praying, just a bunch of kids, she said, all right, we're going to walk down that hall, we're going to go to that altar, and we're going to get on our face before God.
We walked into the sanctuary, about 30 students. We got on our face before God. Needless to say, God began to move in that house. And I remember that day as we were just kind of as young people crying out to the Lord and saying, Lord, do something in our life. And and however kids pray, I don't know. Uh, We were saying, Lord, move in in us. And we make ourselves available to you. And my father, immediately the uh, adults came around the altar and they began to pray for their kids. My father walked by and I remember just as clearly as I could ever remember his voice, he laid his hand on my head. And he said, Lord, fill my boy with the Holy Ghost. That's all he said. And I was a quiet kid. I was kind of shy and bashful. And I started praying the Holy Spirit louder than anybody at that altar. That fast. Just the minute he said it. Lord, fill my boy with the Holy Ghost. Those seasons, I'll just prophesy to you, those seasons are returning to the house of the Lord where the Spirit of the Lord will be honored and blessed and given the release and the freedom to move. You can't manufacture that. We we don't manufacture that here. We just have it. Do you know how many people... uh, my phone rings and I get emails and, and I get uh, people invite themselves to preach in this place. And they used to come, uh, uh, Pastor Halverson would have people come and, and, and they would preach here and they would say, man, it's so anointed to preach here. It's easy to preach in this house. I love preaching here. And the people who we do have come, when I call them and I ask them to come, they're like, let me get my calendar right now. Let me get it on there right now. Because we've cultivated an environment where the Spirit of God can dwell and where the Spirit of God can move. The way to maintain that and increase that is to keep the spirit of unity in a bond of peace because there is only one Spirit. When as a child I was filled with the Holy Spirit, when those children out there in powerhouses get filled with the Holy Spirit, they're not getting, I've heard Becky say this, they're not getting baby Holy Spirit. They don't get some infantile expression, some immature expression of the Holy Spirit. They get God in His fullness. That's why the Scripture says that out of the mouth of babes and sucklings that the very oracles of God can be spoken. Oh, we long for that day. We long to see those things. And we're seeing them. That's why we have times like we had this morning. Ten minutes. There's one body, there's one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. What's the hope of your calling? So we have all different kinds of callings. I'm called to preach the gospel, I'm called to pastor. I have a prophetic anointing in my life, so I, I get busy prophesying every now and then. It was so, I had more fun this week. Listen, I, we're part of the Pentecostal network. I was sitting among the the leaders of this, the national leaders of this, of our network this week, and uh, I was so homesick, it was miserable, because I just got back from Ukraine, and I'm not used to being gone, 
And uh, so I was like, Lord, if you have an assignment for me, you better make it clear to me, because if, if I had my way, I'd go home. But there was two or three people. The Lord said, before you get out of here, I want you to pray for them. I just want you to speak into their life. And I did that. That was That's, that's really fun. That's like the cheesecake of Christianity for me. You understand? You don't, live on, you don't live on those things. They just encourage you. And so when the prophetic comes, it's, it's like, it's, for me, it's like the cheesecake. I love it. But we live in the word. And so we had more fun just, just expressing life into situations where people are struggling and, and all of that. But there is, there is one spirit. That's why it's so wonderful that sometimes Rachel get up and lead worship and, and, and one of the, the prophetic voices in the house will come up and speak a word from God and, and something else will happen in the service or in pre-service prayer and it all starts to flow together. And when I get up and I open the, the word, it, it's, it's all, sometimes some of it's in my notes. I mean, it's just wonderful because one spirit, one spirit. It's important. I'm bouncing back and forth. I know I haven't lost my place. But there's also one hope. His, his name is Jesus. And when the scripture talks about the hope of our calling, we all have different assignments. We all have different things that God uh, has for us to accomplish. I've been asking the Lord about the spirit of the evangelist because that's stirred in this house, that's stirring in this house, but we haven't come to full expression yet. We haven't come to full expression of the spirit of the evangelist in this house, but we're, we're, we're coming there. But those of you that have an evangelistic anointing and you just you see your neighbors and you see their need for Jesus and you just want to, you want to drag them into the kingdom... And you realize you can't drag them into the kingdom. But boy, if you could, you'd cram it down their throat and you'd drag them in because you don't, you know, you don't want them to go to hell and you don't want them to live without God. And I think that just as, just as terrible as the idea of an eternity without God is life without God. And that spirit of the evangelist. But the hope of that calling is Jesus. And so he says there's... that. that this helps us keep unity. This, this helps us maintain understanding this oneness of, of God and, and of the Spirit and of the hope of our calling. Uh, we all have different callings, but we're all headed in the same direction. And at the end of the day, we all have one target. Bring people to an intimate relationship with Jesus. I love discipling people. Pam's got a passion about discipling people. Our challenge is uh, the fivefold ministry is, is to equip saints for works of ministry to get all of, all of that the kingdom of God is, is deposited in them so that it can be poured out of them. That's my thing. Well, I have evangelists who are like, they have no clue about discipleship. They don't, they don't know that at all. They just want to get people saved. Just, just bring people to Jesus. And the problem with bringing people to Jesus is like having a baby and leaving it at the hospital. You have a baby, you leave it at the hospital, or, or you come home, you're like, I had this beautiful baby. Well, where is it? Let me see it. Well, here's a picture of it. 
Well, where's your baby at? Well, my baby's at the hospital. Why? Well, if we just have evangelism without discipleship, we're just birthing a bunch of babies and leaving them at the hospital. Or leaving them really not even there. They're in a place where no one's there to care for them, and they're, they're, they're going to die. They're not going to come to full maturity. So we all have this, this issue from the Lord where all those callings function together to produce fruit in the kingdom of God. And Jesus is our inheritance. And he is the hope of our calling. And the reason that the scripture points it out to us and the reason I feel the Holy Spirit just kind of belaboring that point before us today is that in, a, in, a, in, a, in an environment, a church environment, as we grow in God and as we grow in number and as we grow in vision, as we grow in, in, in all the efforts that we put forth in the kingdom of God, there's times whenever we'll begin to feel like, well, what I'm doing, this evangelism stuff is way more important than what everybody else is doing. But God reminds us to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace by understanding that all of us flowing together to reach the goal, to reach the mark, to reach the prize of the high calling that's in Christ Jesus. He's called us to walk together. God began at the beginning of this year to talk to us about community, and we've said that throughout the year, and we'll continue to talk about that and continue to impress upon you that because the connectedness of us together is what gives life to to what God has dreamed in this place. Nobody, nobody can produce fruit in the kingdom in a place of isolation. No one, no one can produce kingdom fruit from a place of isolation. Now, isolation and being sequestered is two different things. Being sequestered before the Lord and spending time before him in his presence, that's not isolation. Even extended periods of time. You understand, John the Baptist, John was not isolated from the body of Christ, but revelation came out of his sequestering that he didn't choose, by the way. How many of y'all say, oh, God, I want to do your will, and then the Lord says, all right, I'm going to take you, and I'm going to put you on the Isle of Patmos where nobody's at so you can hear from me? How many of us are going to go, yay, God? <laughs> we all have those seasons in our life. But being sequestered before him and sitting before him in quietness and receiving from him and, and being set apart for a season to receive out of the heart of the Father is different than isolation. And do you know how to find out whether you're being sequestered or whether you're being isolated? Thank you for saying yes. Laura said yes. How about the rest of you? Isolation always comes out of injury. Isolation always comes out of hurt. Isolation is always born out of a root of bitterness. Offense, yes. There's a great many people who've come through the house in 20 years that because it wasn't packaged the way they wanted it packaged, uh, they are offended. Jesus said to John, whenever John was in prison, about to lose his head, John said, are you, are you the one or not? 
He sent a message to him. You remember that story in Scripture? We won't turn there because I'm running out of time. John says, are, are you the Christ or not? Are you the Messiah or not? And, and Jesus said, you know, the lame walk, the dumb talk, the, he, he, the blind see. And then he said, he basically said, if I can paraphrase, what are you offended in me for? John was really upset. Like, if you're the Messiah, come and get me out of here. And believers all over the world today are coming into that season of dismay I talked about earlier because they're going to God and they're saying, if you're God, get me out of this mess. And when they don't get the response from him they want, they're offended in him and so they run and they hide. Offense produces isolation. I've just decided not to be offended. That's a discipline. That's not always easy. I'm not suggesting to you that that's an easy decision. I'm just suggesting to you that in order to walk in the spirit of unity and the bond of peace, we have to determine that we're not going to be offended. I will apologize to you. If I, if I said something that hurt your feelings, if I made a decision that upset you and, or that you did not understand, I will apologize for the misunderstanding. I will apologize for the decision that I made without communicating appropriately to you or whatever that is. I'll, I'll, if I've wronged, I will, I will come full clean, straight up front. I, did, I mishandled that situation and I apologize and be honest and forthright about it. But I will not apologize for your offense. I'm glad I didn't know of anyone being offended before I got all into this. (laughs) Because if you're you're offended and I knew about it, you're going, he's talking about me. (laughs) No. If you've been wronged, it's appropriate for someone to recognize that and say, I'm sorry. But only you and God can deal with the fact that you chose to be offended in it. Because offense is a choice. And when we, when we choose offense, then we choose not to walk in a spirit of unity and a bond of peace. Amen? Amen. So let's close with this passage. See, I got through the first four verses. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, there is one body. Oh, Lord, I should have taught on that more. One spirit one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all, through all, and in you all. I ask the Lord to help us to realize that we are part of one body. That we are connected one to another, that we need one another in order to accomplish the purpose that he has for each of us individually and for us corporately in the earth.